I'll show you politics in America. Here it is, right here. I think the puppet on the right shares my beliefs. I think the puppet on the left is more to my liking. Hey, wait a minute. There's one guy holding up both puppets. Shut up. Go back to bed, America. Your government is in control. Read my lips. Just send your cash. There has never been so many lies, so much deception. (laughs) (laughs) Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. (laughs) Please clap. It's time for the Mike Madison Show, a new breed of conservative talk. Now, here's your host, Mike Madison. Showtime! All right. Good morning and welcome to the Mike Madison Show here at 103.9 WYAB. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, This is my fourth show since the Hamas attack on Israel. And I'd I'd rather talk about some other things, and I'm going to start out the show on some different topics. But this is undeniably the most important issue facing us today. Because if this spirals out of control, then everything changes. What I've talked about in the economy could possibly even be second place, (laughs) and it's going to be a big second place. I mean, if you want to know the fastest way to the Great Reset that the right is fighting against tooth and nail, and I encourage you to do so, and I support you in the fight, if you want to know the fastest way to actually get to the Great Reset, to allow them to implement what they have in store for us, World War III, you know what they do with emergencies, right? If there's anything that goes on, we're still in a state of emergency after 9-11. So you can only imagine, you may want to rethink, rethink your support for what's going on right now. But anyway, today's show will be titled, when I put this out as a podcast, it'll be titled as Mike versus the Talking Points. And we're going to go through the most popular talking points when it comes to what's going on in the Middle East today. And some of them are, are correct. But as usual, not fleshed out completely. So we'll take a look at that today. I wanted to wanted to start this. You want to talk about uh, the United States in a nutshell? Here is, was a story I ran across a couple of weeks ago. This, this is the United States in a nutshell. Uh, in this day and age of the new anti-obesity drugs, right? You're, you're aware of these things, Ozembic, these GLP-1 uh, shots that they're giving people. And there's quite an uptake for it, too, unfortunately. Uh, here's the kicker. I mean, I, I don't know why we can't see ahead. We, we hear something that just sounds right on its face, so we jump in feet first, excuse, head first, and then discover down the road what a catastrophe it was. Here's the... Here's the story from Zero Hedge. Quote, demand for anti-diarrhea and anti-nausea medication is on the rise. We believe this may be driven by rising GLP-1 adoptions. That's from Goldman Sachs. Of course, they're they're looking at this and going, hey, it may be time to buy those anti-diarrhea stocks. I mean, come on, people. This To me, it's, it's America in a nutshell. We just jump in for what we think is the quick fix. Somebody tells us something's going to work. We jump in. We don't do any research. We don't ever stop and think about it. 
You know, this is, you got a slumping economy. You just print up a bunch of money. What could possibly go wrong? It ends up in inflation. So the people out there that are just too fat, too lazy or uninterested to exercise and eat real food, take a shot, and then you get a pill for the diarrhea. And let me just tell you, you understand that there are conditions where diarrhea can kill people. The little nutrition you might have in your stuff may not stick around long enough to be absorbed by your body. This is a, a train wreck. If you or anybody that you know or love is considering taking these weight loss drugs, really reconsider it. You can email me, mikemadison at wyab.com. You can ask listeners. I'll try to hand, hold your hand and walk you through a good program to lose some weight, feel better, and not be diarrheal. <laughs> Gets even worse. The makers of three popular weight loss drugs, all of which have, have known physical and mental health risks, announced last week that they are testing the products for anyone, anyone, children. As young as age six. Novo Nordisk, maker of Ozembic and Wagovi, and Eli Lilly, maker of Monjaro, have, appro uh, have approval for the drugs in the U.S. and European Union for people ages 12 and up. Novo Nordisk is reportedly already in phase three trials with children six to 12. Testing its Sedexa product, an older and less potent version of the best-selling drugs, Eli Lilly began recruiting children for its trials last week. Holy cow. And it's not lost. You know, I know these, these pictures float around the Internet right as they should. Go back and find 1960s images of children. Hell, probably 1980s. The 90s, uh, the tail end of the 80s and the 1990s, when we really went off the rail, it's when we really decided, hey, you guys can put whatever you want to in our food supply, and we'll guzzle it down by the gallons, by the pounds. Uh, but you go back and look at, a, look at pictures of kids and adults, for that matter, on the beach in the 1960s. <laughs> You're not going to find an obese country back then. Oh, my gosh. L listen to this, these statistics here. Somebody has this chart out, uh, what changed in the last 30 years? And it talks about the rise of different diseases and disorders. Listen to some of these numbers. Since 1990, ADHD is up 819%. Alzheimer's, 299%. Autism, 2,094%. Bipolar disease in youth, up 10,833%. Now, a lot of those are, particularly the bipolar, these are diagnoses of children to sell them a pill. They have something in their life that makes them unhappy, and so we diagnose them as having a mental uh, illness instead of equipping them for, yep, that's the ups and downs for life. Celiac disease up 1,111%. Chronic fatigue syndrome up 11,027%. Depression up 280%. Diabetes up 305%. Fibromyalgia, this is one of my favorites, up 7,272%. You know what fibromyalgia is? Nothing. It was made up. I think I did a story on this before, but I think they had a conference and they were like, there's this thing that people come tell us about is they, they threw a bunch of different uh, complaints that people had symptoms and they just labeled it fibromyalgia, made a few pills for it and just took off to the races. 
and this goes on, the, li- the list gets long, but again, I ask the medical community out there, are you really taking us in the right direction? And before we get into Mike versus the talking points, I wanted to play this. You know, there's a lot of people, you know, I'm a libertarian guy. Seems to be some, I've been hearing some hostility towards libertarians on WIAB. That always kind of cracks me up. Libertarians never had an ounce of power in this country. But for some reason, just because we say some things people disagree with, they they feel we're a danger. Uh, anyway, um, oh, yeah, I wanted to throw this in first, too. I'm sorry. Let me be honest with you. I had an eye surgery today. A long time ago, I, I was playing indoor soccer and took a ball straight into my eye. Now, you know, a soccer ball is big. It's not like a baseball. Someone takes a baseball to the eye. I mean, that that could be game over right there. But I got blasted just right in my eye socket. And even after the game, I ain't no sissy boy. I didn't really worry about it, but I got home and I told my wife at the time, I said, man, my eye is really feeling weird. And I had a, a family friend that was... Uh, was an eye doc, and I called him, and he said, come up to my office right now. And about 10.30 at night, he took a look at it, and he said, the pressure was so bad that if I'd waited for the morning, uh, I was going to lose the eye. But he told me I was going to have some problems with it, and so I had to have surgery today. My first interaction with the medical system in 17 years. (laughs) This is a surgery, and to show you, I I have praised surgeries before, but I'm playing hurt today. So bear with me just a little bit if I get a little jumbled on my notes and things like that. But while I'm on health, this is uh, some encouraging news. And God knows my show could always use some encouraging news, right? I'm hearing some rumblings that because the COVID shots contain contaminants, particularly this SB40, uh, Jameson's done a great job of covering that. But because they cover this, they the pharmaceutical companies, and everyone who forced vaccines could be vulnerable to lawsuits. This is the way. It was about three weeks ago I asked, you know, could I work 80-hour weeks, do this show, and go to law school for just this reason? I might need to explore it more quickly. So come on, attorneys, take it to them. Save humanity before they try that crap again. You know, Pfizer and Moderna stocks have been tanking. So maybe that is a sign that investors are actually worried about this possibility, which lends some credence to the idea that it is a possibility. Look, I'm not holding my breath. The government may throw up both Republicans and Democrats hand in hand. We'll do whatever they need to to try to protect the pharmaceutical industry. But we'll see. Of course, their stocks could also be tanking because of the fact that I believe the last number I saw was only 2% are apparently still taking the clot shots. So that is even more encouraging news. To the 2%, I say, come join us. Come join us away from the, the big pharma disaster known as the COVID vaccine. All right, now I did want to play this. Again, more encouraging news. Boy, this is just a white pill show, isn't it? I'm just bringing the love and happiness to the show today. Uh, a lot of people, you know, as libertarians, as I started to say earlier, they just think we're really unrealistic. Because we want to return the country basically back to its founding principles, which is a tiny little government that does not reach into our pockets, uh, and particularly when it comes to taxes. And people will say, you know, the, the conservative answer to an abusive and confiscatory IRS is, let's do a fair tax or a flat tax. Because ultimately, 
conservatives who believe this believe that the government needs your money. It's just let's make it easier for us to give it to them. It's kind of unbelievable Stockholm syndrome to me. But anyway, uh, people think when I talk about abolishing the income tax that it's unconstitutional, that the government doesn't need this money. The government needs to be smaller. People look at it and they say, oh, it's just unrealistic, Mike. Come on now. I'm with you. I hate paying taxes, too. But it's just silly to think that a government could just on a dime turn around and not have taxes. Well, I may have found my place to expatriate when I retire. They say two things are always certain, death and taxes. Well, not anymore in Argentina. And before you freak out, no, they've not discovered the secret to immortality. They have done away with taxes. That's right. Argentina Senate has passed a new bill. It seeks to abolish income tax. Not for everyone, not for all workers, but for most of them. Around 1.3 million workers in the formal sector will benefit. No taxes for them. Only a tiny fraction will keep paying income tax. Those who earn more than $5,000 per month, they will have to pay an income tax. That's around 1.7 million pesos. And how many people earn that much in Argentina? Just 1% of the payroll workers, which means 99% of all payroll workers in Argentina will not have to pay income tax. The bill will now head to the president's desk. Once he signs it, it will become law. So, huh, I'm sure you heard about that. I'm sure the mainstream media uh, covered that, didn't they? That's the last thing they want you to know, is that it can actually be stopped. Now, Argentina's been interesting. They've had the libertarian guy. They call him far-right Trump uh, candidate. But he's not Trump. He's brash and bold, like Donald Trump. But he's a very principled libertarian, wanting to smash all of the agencies and the income tax. Uh, they have got, uh, I believe he's in a runoff. He didn't win the first time around. It's, it's the death throes of the globalist. I, I, I just knew, even in Argentina, you know they've got a deep state in Argentina too. I mean, maybe it's legit. Maybe people in Argentina, like in America, are really not ready for freedom. <laughs> as strange as that sounds, because everybody says they want to be free. You know, sexual groups want to be free to be themselves. Patriotic Americans say, we need freedom. I'm all about freedom and liberty. They fly the Gadsden flag, but they don't do anything about it. They don't actually want freedom. They want to make sure their Social Security check comes in and everybody else pays taxes like they do, you know. So maybe Argentina is still lagging behind even after their dozen or so financial crises, currency crises. But anyway, I... I just wanted to put it out there. These things actually can happen. You can get the yoke of the government off your back if you actually want it. And more importantly than that, ask for it. When Roger Wicker comes to you or Michael Guest or Cindy Hyde-Smith or a presidential candidate comes and tells you they're not going to take 27%, they're only going to take 24% from you, say no. Not good enough. You can't be trusted with the money. What we deserve to pay to the federal government is zero. Oh, 
All right. I, I would really say a lot of this show over the years on a daily basis is taking on talking points from political parties, from the neocons, from the globalists, from the medical establishment, because the talking points are basically marketing material for the elite class. That's really how they get people. And the reason that they bundle these things together, and, and unfortunately, most of, you know, a lot of the national conservative hosts— as well as the liberal media. I'm not I'm not just saying it's just the right, but a lot of the national conservative hosts, it's talking points radio. I've never done that. As a matter of fact, I spend a lot of my time challenging the talking points that everyone's given. And boy, are we seeing a lot of them when it comes to what's going on in the Middle East right now. <laughs> I mean, uh, some of them are new, some of them are old. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time today going through, this will be Mike versus the talking points, because I have people emailing me talking point videos and talking point other stuff. And I'm going to start off with, uh, with one of the biggies, and I'm going, to, I'm going to say that the talking point is correct. Just, I'd ask for a little clarification. So talking point number one, Israel has a right to defend itself. Absolutely. I totally agree. I'm going to give you that one. Israel does certainly have the right to defend itself, as does every man, woman, child, country, doesn't matter what it is. Uh, if you know anything about libertarians, we are about the non-aggression principle, which means you do not initiate violence on anybody. But if violence is enacted on you, uh, you come back at them and you come back at them hard. So Israel does have a right to defend itself. But I'm going to ask one clarifier. Do Palestinians have the right to defend themselves? Now, I'm not going to do the same long-form question of last week, so I'm going to make this kind of short and simple. If the UN, the United Nations, gave Chinese people a giant chunk of Mississippi, and by giving them this chunk, they displace, meaning they take the land and the homes of 750,000 Mississippians, do you go along with that? Would that be acceptable to you? Or would you defend your property because you don't care what the U.N. says? It's your home. It's your farm. It's your business. Okay, maybe for the good of humanity, you'd give up the 750,000 homes and farms and everything else, allow 750,000 Mississippians to be displaced because the U.N. says China gets a chunk of Mississippi now. What if they decided to take more and, and this is in the places where you went, where you had to go to when they took this large chunk of land. You went to somewhere else. Uh, they came to the place where you were, and they started taking more of your land, more of your homes. Do you, at that point, have a right to defend yourself from that? Now, I'm not, I'm not a traditional conservative Republican guy. I left the Republican Party a long time ago. But I think I do kind of understand the mentality of those people who are, and I have a lot of sympathies, we share a lot of the same thoughts, uh, traditional conservatives. I'll tell you what I see on the right of Republicans and conservatives. I see a lot of Gadsden flags. You're familiar with the Gadsden flag, right? It says, don't tread on me. It's a picture of a snake basically saying, hey, you know, let's just let each other. But if you come and start messing with me, you're going to get snake bit, right? So it doesn't seem to me that you would be willing, uh, willingly and peacefully stepping aside while the Chinese take 
large chunks of the state of Mississippi, take lands, take homes from people that were forced to flee the initial occupation. So my question is, Israel absolutely has a right to defend itself. Why would you expect the Palestinians not to try to defend themselves, their homes? So I'm just asking. All right, here, here's, another, uh, here's another big talking point. Israel is our greatest ally. Now, again, for anybody who maybe is tuning in for the first time, you know, this is one of those things. You have to qualify it every time because somebody will be hysterical and say, oh, well, you know, what am, you know this guy's anti-Semitic. I dated a Jewish girl for four years. I have a lot of Jewish friends. I'm happy, you know, I, I want nothing but the best for people of Israel and for Jewish people all around the world. That's not what this is about. This is about the Israeli government. And what we're told is that Israel is our greatest ally, and I only have one question, and that is why? Why? In our relationship with Israel, I hope we can trade and travel and see each other and, and get along swimmingly. That's, that's fantastic. But our greatest ally, I'm just not sure what it is exactly that makes them better than anybody else. What, what is the special thing that we get from our relationship with Israel? That's an honest question. I don't see it. I know we give a lot. We fight wars for their government. We send them billions of dollars every single year. But I'm just not sure what the return on that is. So let me jump ahead here. Here's another talking point. And maybe this is what people are willing to accept in this relationship. We send them arms and weapons and, and uh, we, we fight their wars for them and we send them billions of dollars a year. But we do that because, and here's the other talking point, God smiles on the country that smiles on Israel or something to that effect. I would just ask, <laughs> do you get the sense that God has been smiling on us for the past several decades in this country? <laughs> you know, maybe. Now, I've heard people across the spectrum over the last few weeks breaking down biblical passages, some on the we must support Israel to our last dying breath, all the way to these are misinterpretations of the Bible. I'm not getting into the religiosity of this particular issue, but I am just saying it doesn't feel like we're getting a huge bang for our buck. Uh, th this is a clip. This is Benjamin Netanyahu. This is uh, the person leading the charge, you know, and, and he's fair game the same way Zelensky is, right? I've talked an awful lot about Zelensky as I implore people to say, look, do you understand who you're supporting here? Who it is that you've, you know, I talk about uh, Zelensky body pillows being sold to most people on the left. They sleep with him. They think he's so cute and so cuddly. We must support him forever. Well, Netanyahu is the Zelensky of Israel. He's the prime minister there. And here was a speech that he just recently gave. Our war against Hamas is a test for all of humanity. It is a struggle between the axis of evil of Iran, Hezbollah, and Hamas and the axis of freedom and progress. We are the people of the light. They are the... Now, you, you've got to understand, and I shouldn't have stopped it there. I'll back it up just a little bit. There's a couple of themes in his speech here. But, I mean, come on, people. Have we not caught on? He's actually using the old axis of evil speech. So th th there is more and more information coming out right now that uh, suggests that Israel might have stood down purposefully to allow these attacks to pl take place so they could kick off a wider war. 
you do understand Israel's been wanting this war, particularly with Iran and Syria and Lebanon, for decades under this madman, Netanyahu. They've wanted this war for forever. Is it just beyond belief to think he would never, he would never sacrifice 1,400 of his own citizens, allowing an attack like that to take place? Study history, baby. It has happened time and time again, probably since mankind had politicians. They don't care about you. They do not care about you. If they have a goal and they can use some of the average people as cannon fodder, good headlines, martyrs to the, to the mainstream media, they'll do it in a heartbeat, in a heartbeat. But I, I always said, I hate it when they have a lack of originality. Using axis of evil again, it just feels phoned in. I'm just saying. They're being lazy. But the reason they do it is because it worked so well the first time. Then he's going to throw in another one so that you understand. Because I tell you, in all of these wars, what they always try to tell you is this. It's one good guy and one bad guy. And Joe Biden will tell you who the good guy is and the bad guy is. And Kevin McCarthy will tell you who the good guy and the bad guy is. And the mainstream media, they'll make sure that you understand who's the good guy and who's the bad guy. Right? There can't be two bad people that have, you know, for their own purposes, involved themselves in a skirmish, and we should just be hands-off because they're both psychopaths. No, they can't have that when, the, when there's money to be made, power to be gained on these wars. So they have to tell you one of them's good, one of them's bad. If you support the bad one, you're the devil. So this is Benjamin Netanyahu. He's getting into the darkness and light. So he's, he's, gonna, he's doubling up here. He's, he's got the axis of evil. And then he gives you the existential battle between darkness and light. Are the people of the light, they are the people of darkness, and light shall triumph over darkness. Citizens of Israel, October 7th was a very dark and black day in our history. We will fully investigate what had happened at our southern border, the border with Gaza. He promises he will investigate himself and the government he was running. They'll get to the bottom of this. <laughs> you got to love the people who investigate themselves. That always gets you to the truth, doesn't it? Everybody will have to provide answers, myself included, but all that will happen only after the war. As a prime minister, I'm responsible for guaranteeing the future of this country. And Yeah, I love that. We'll get around to it. If I've got some culpability, I'll let you know about it, but not now. Now is not the time. We're in the middle of a war, and if he kicks off the wider war you want, you can rest assured they won't start looking into his culpability on this thing for 10, 20 years. Now my role is to lead all Israelis, the state of Israel and the people of Israel, to an overpowering victory. It is now a time to come together for one purpose, to storm ahead to achieve victory. In joint with joint forces and a profound belief in our justness, a profound belief in the eternity of the Jewish people, we shall realize the prophecy of Isaiah. There will no longer be stealing at your your borders and your gates will be of glory. Together we will fight. Together we will win. Oh, so there you go. A rousing speech by the corrupt, neocon, bloodthirsty, warmongering Benjamin Netanyahu. <laughs> and that's going to lead me straight into my next talking point. And the next talking point is uh, that 
Hamas always wants, uh, Hamas will only be happy, and the Palestinians will only be happy if every Jew in the world is dead. That Israel has put out the olive branch of peace over and over again, and those Palestinians will not take them up on a deal. Uh, I'm going to go back and play a clip I played yesterday. I don't usually do it that much, but I thought this one was so interesting. I tell you what, I'm looking at the clock. i got to take a break. When I come back, though, we'll take on this talking point. The talking point is Israel has put out an olive branch, has been trying so hard to get peace between these people, and the radical Muslims in Palestinian areas just will not accept peace when it's offered to them. We'll tear that one down in just a second. Stick around. All right, we are back. This is the Mike Madison Show, 103.9 WYAB. We are doing today Mike Madison, Mike versus the talking points around what's going on in the Middle East. You know, I was under anesthesia today. I've been told I'm not going to remember the rest of the today, tomorrow. I might have to go back and listen to my own show, see if I made any sense. Because apparently I may not remember even uh, this is recorded. This is recorded on Wednesday evening, so I might have to go back and listen to it just to see what I said. Uh, Anyway... I'm going into reruns here a little bit. I played this clip yesterday. So the talking point is, is that Israel is constantly trying to have, trying to uh, push for peace. And Hamas and the PLO at the time, Hezbollah and the Palestinian people just will not accept peace because they are hell-bent on killing every Jew over there. That was not the sense that Donald Trump got. I was disappointed in Bibi, just on a personal basis. When we have an election, that it was a rigged election, like a third world country election. I think it's a terrible personal trait. I haven't spoken to him since, right? Now, you know what's even interesting about that? I mean, Donald Trump was a great friend to Israel. Benjamin Netanyahu and Jared Kushner are buddy-buddy. I think they vacation at each other's homes. They're so close. But Benjamin Netanyahu, he didn't care that Joe Biden was elected because he knows Joe Biden, who has said out loud many times, I am a Zionist. He says this. So Netanyahu is only concerned about Netanyahu, even though Trump had done a lot of things for Israel, things that I complained about when he was doing them. Trump gave the Golan Heights, which was part of Syria. He just gave it to Israel. I thought it was a hell of a thing. The president of the United States apparently has the power to just go to other countries and go, hey, see that area right there? I'm taking it from you. I'm giving it to them. <laughs> no no votes, no laws, no. I mean, just no nothing. He just gave it to Israel. But Benjamin Netanyahu turned on him the second he, second he wanted to. He was happy to have Joe Biden in there. It doesn't matter to him. He has no loyalty. So this Benjamin Netanyahu guy that a lot of conservatives are following into this fight, uh, I don't know he's earned your allegiance. But I'm going to let Trump continue on this idea that Hamas never wants peace and Israel's always trying so hard to get along. I I didn't talk. I thought he wanted to make a deal more than Netanyahu. And I I will be honest, uh, I had a great meeting with him, Abbas, right? I had a great meeting with him, and we spent a lot of time together, talked about many things. 
and it was almost like a father. I mean, you know, he was so nice. Couldn't have been nicer. And after meeting with Bibi for three minutes, I looked at him and said, you don't want to make a deal, do you? And he said, well, uh, uh, uh. And the fact is, I don't think Bibi ever wanted to make a deal. Why? I thought the Palestinians were impossible, that the, the Israelis would do anything to make peace and a deal. I found that not to be true. There you go. And remember, Netanyahu is not new. I think he's been, he's been either prime minister or snaking his way around the Israeli government for about 30 years. I believe the early 90s is when he first came on the scene. So for the last 30 years, you've been treated to the idea that the Israeli government just wants nothing but peace, and they've just been sitting around being super kind and awesome, and it's just these radical Muslim Palestinians that are constantly causing problems. Netanyahu doesn't want a deal, because that's not what he's interested in. He's interested in the wider war and the greater Israel, which means they have to take a ton of land from a lot of countries around them. Unfortunately, they can't do it themselves. They're going to need some American boots on the ground. And that is what conservatives, many conservatives right now, are cheering for. All right, here's a biggie. Here's a biggie in the talking point thing, and it's it's old, but here it is. Uh, Iran is the world's biggest supporter of terrorism. This is a biggie. Been It's been recited uh, ever since... Uh, Ever since we got done with Iraq and it was time for Iran, this has been out there. You'll hear a lot of Republicans say it. Many neocon Democrats say it. They constantly say Iran is the number one supporter of terrorism. Okay, so I've got a couple of questions, and I want you to answer these quickly and honestly, okay? I don't, don't, don't do any Googling or anything like that. I just want you, because, if, because what I see on the right is they just repeat this talking point over and over and over again. So my question number one is, and get ready, I want you to answer this quickly. How much do they spend each year on terrorism from Iran? Quick, quick. You have no idea, do you? Because they don't ever provide any numbers or any proof of this. It's just said. They just say it. It might be true, but it really depends. I don't have time to get into it today. What your definition of terrorism is? You understand the general Soleimani that uh, Trump had assassinated. He was fighting ISIS. Now I think we can all agree ISIS are terrorists, right? Well, the like the basically he was the vice president essentially of Iran. He was known to be a warrior against ISIS. So I'm not sure exactly how that means they they support terrorism. They do support Hamas. They do support Hezbollah. But I ask, I go back to my first question, do the Palestinians, I mean, should they have groups that are trying to fight for them? Not in the nasty ways they do. I told you, anybody anybody with Hamas that was guilty of the attacks on October 7th should be hunted down and killed or imprisoned. I'm fine with that. But but is, is, it, is it a little interesting to you that when I ask you that question, you have no idea how much Iran spends on terrorism? Now, now here would be the follow-up question to that. If Iran is the world's biggest supporter of terrorism, as you're constantly told, who's number two? You don't know that either, do you? Because if, if, if everyone just knows that Iran is number two, you must know the rankings and the amounts, right? You wouldn't just let neocons just say things, talking points, without proving it to you. But no. Almost to a person, conservative talk show host on the national scene, 
are the ones that are constantly telling you Iran is the number one sport of terror with no proof, no, no amounts given, nothing like that. And then I'm going to come back. I've got a couple more. I'll have time to do a couple more. This next one is one that's been driving me nuts <laughs> for probably well over a decade now. And it is still being repeated. And it was even ramped up after these latest attacks. And the neocons want that war with Iran, so they're trotting it out again. And people are gobbling it up with a spoon. We'll do that when I come back. Stick around. Woke up in my All right, final segment for the day. This is Mike Madison versus the neocon warmongering talking points. Here, here's one of the biggies. I've talked about it over my time in the radio. I can't get people to stop saying it. They'll even understand it. when I can be face-to-face with somebody and explain this to them, and they go, yeah, well, that's kind of true. And then I'll hear them the next day spouting out the same, the same propaganda like we didn't even have the conversation. Biden and Obama gave Iran $6 billion. Now, I'm going to do this one one more time. Well, that's being dishonest. I'll probably bring this up a lot if you guys keep saying it, uh, because this one has been going around for about a decade. Obama and Biden, as much as I can't stand either one of them and wish they'd be hauled off and whatever. It's terrible, terrible people. Don't, don't, don't uh, Don't clutch your pearls thinking I'm trying to take up for them. But truth is truth. Obama and Biden unfroze $6 billion they stole from Iran. So everybody telling you this, they gave, they, and that's the term they used, they gave $6 billion. So everyone telling you this is under the ideology that the United States, the massively corrupt government we have, can just confiscate money from transactions other countries make anytime we simply just announce sanctions. We just get to go take their money. So this is really its own kind of evil. And in both of these cases, in Obama and Biden, they unfroze Iran's own money. Now, you've got to be a special kind of propagandized to, a special kind of brainwashed to believe that we have the right to steal money. And then when we give it back, that's the problem. What, what, what happened to thou shalt not steal? Just out of curiosity. Well, again, people will set aside their views on right or wrong just because their government told you to or your party or your political heroes. They will trot this thing out. They unfroze Iran's money. And then I've only got time for one more. They voted. The Palestinians voted for Hamas, so they're all guilty. This is basically the excuse that I see most with uh, attacking innocent people, killing thousands of children so far. Uh, Let me give you some facts surrounding that. It's been about 17 years since the election of Hamas in that area. And at the time, I believe they had to be 18 to vote. So if you want to do the math, nobody under the age of 35 voted for Hamas. I'm not saying they wouldn't. But but if if your thing is, they all voted for it. No, nobody under the age of 35. Gaza is over half of children and young adults. So there's 50% of the population didn't vote for this. Then you add in all the people who, of the vote, didn't vote for Hamas. So now you're probably up to around 75% of the people. And then there's some people who just didn't vote at all. 
So you're probably looking at maybe 20% of the people voted for Hamas. Now, the question we should be asking is, why would they vote for a group that has the potential for such violence like Hamas? Could it possibly be, back to question number one, that they believe that may be the only way that they can defend themselves? Their homes are still being taken. And, and, and the biggest question of all is, do you want your children to be held accountable for the crimes of the U.S. federal government? Do you think it would be fair for your children to be killed by grieving Iraqi parents because you voted for George W. Bush? And many of you did, or H.W. Bush. They're equally culpable of the 500,000, well, H.W. Bush for the 500,000 children. And Bill Clinton, if you voted for Clinton, 500,000 children died during the 1990s under our uh, embargo, our siege of Iraq. Do you believe that your children deserve to die? Because some people in this country voted for George Bush or voted for Bill Clinton? Do you think that your children should be blown to bits by grieving Syrian parents because our country voted and elected Barack Obama, who just set terrorists loose in Syria and destroyed that country? Or should Russians murder us from above because Joe Biden sits in the White House? Legitimate or not, hey, we don't know if there was election fraud in the uh, election of Hamas. Joe Biden is our president. And he, he has been stating very publicly, and many of the Congress critters too, that they are trying to kill Russian people. So should we be killed? We elected these people. I'm just saying. So those are all the talking points. There will be more. There will be more. Actually, if I'm going to leave some stuff on the cutting room floor, as I always do here. But I'm telling you, you watch for these things that are so often repeated and take just a nanosecond to think them through. You will be doing a great service to humanity. And when, the thing is, is that if you ever in your soul, I'm not talking about you caught on to the Ukraine war by itself, but if you ever in your soul understand war propaganda, that all wars are bankers' wars, then when you hear these often repeated lines, whether on the right or the left, and they are all pretty much together on the wars, when you hear these things by the mainstream media that they constantly say over and over and over again, understand that is marketing to you. That is marketing to get the next war. Doesn't mean it's factual. It's all the time I got. Have a great one. I'll see you next time.